This episode of the Internet Computer Weekly features hybrid decentralized exchange Tassin, which enables users to settle trades atomically, matching trades using a centralized service, but storing the order book and settlement information in user-run oracles living on the Internet Computer. The approach is interesting in its use of an order book instead of the automated market maker design used by Uniswap and its derivatives. This is made possible by the inexpensive storage and compute the internet computer provides. I'll let the team fill you in. My name is Jian Yang. I'm founder of Tassin. Um, we, you know, and uh, the reason why I started this company and started to work with Clarence and develop this technology is because, well, current generation exchange, they're good but not good enough. Like I traded in all kinds of exchanges, and I always felt like, you know, either I had to give up my control of the money, or I had to pay a lot to have security over my money. Like in as in like paying a lot of fees and gas and stuff like that. And so I, I started to think, is there a way to really like bridge the gap, make it fast, but make it cheap in terms of settlement? So that's the genesis of this idea. So I've been working on this since July of 2019 and just kind of the idea and team grew. And I'm just fortunate to have like really capable team working with us uh, on this. My name is Clarence Liu, and I'm also working with Jay on this project. I mostly handle product. Um, I was originally an advisor, met Jay at Stanford Blockchain Week, really loved the project. Um, I've had a ton of experience in software engineering and in the blockchain world. So I've been kind of part of this ever since. I really love the project. Whereabouts are you guys located again? Los Angeles? We're, we're in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Oh, Wyoming, <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We just got it here like last week. Yeah. Why Wyoming? Why are we here? So this is where the crypto is going to grow into its next phase of evolution. I mean, Avanti is here. Kraken is here. We're going to be here. Yeah, wow. we can do a whole series on this. It's it's growing because like Wyoming has very progressive uh, blockchain yeah. laws. Yeah. The legislature has been putting a fair bit of effort into this, unlike the rest of the I'm states. Saying, yeah. I mean, Vermont and Wyoming are the only two states that have really passed significant like uh, mm-hmm. blockchain legislation. Yeah. Right? So, so, so it's very friendly towards uh, crypto companies here. They have very like good regulations that like specify what is a utility token and what is not, which is like you know fantastic you know yeah. for a company like us. You know how Ripple and XRP is just going nuts right now. I don't want to talk about XRP <laughs> <laughs> at all. Yeah, at cut, all. That, cut that out. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's, no, <laughs> no this is gold. No. <laughs> how about um, how about we start with Tassin? Like, what is it? What are the components of the project? Because it's broadly understood to be a decentralized exchange with a smart wallet, but there's obviously a lot going on with it, and uh, especially its ability to integrate with multiple different chains. Yeah, so Tassin is a um, combination of my frustration with existing ecosystem of exchanges. Some of them do trades really fast and they have low fees. Uh, those are all centralized exchanges. Others are decentralized, they're great at privacy, but really slow or you pay high fees. So I, I thought, how can we bridge this gap? Why is it so difficult to just trade tokens or coins? So the main pieces are we have a centralized order book which uh, just like any other exchanges, like uh, Coinbase or whatever, 
but then we have decentralized settlement layer that is a completely separate and community-owned project. So think of it like you want to have as little information about the traders on the exchange side, and the exchange shouldn't be holding custody of the trader fund. That reduces like all of the perverse incentive that's associated with like access scans and things like that. And we can just focus on like trader experience, right? Then on the settlement layer, by making sure that the community is focused on providing data for the counterparties, that they know like what Alice owes Bob, Bob owes Charlie, and so on and so forth. There's a consensus mechanism that will go in depth at a later point in the discussion where that data is provided to all of the traders when they want to settle, and they can just settle among themselves, which is really elegant um, and simple because I like simple. I'm not super smart, <laughs> so I like simple architecture and simple yeah. uh, mechanism. It's really cool once you, once we can uh, really describe it, but we've also coined a term HDEX, so it's basically called a hybrid DEX. So it's a combination of a centralized exchange and a DEX, kind of the best features of both, the HDEX, which is where we're now coining. Yep. What are the best features of both that you select for with uh, the design of Tassin? Awesome. Yeah. So, so what we like about the centralized exchange is that, well, one, it's, it, it's very fast, right? Uh, it can be fast because it's not tied to the block time of the underlying blockchain or whatever it is. So like, if you think about, say, something like you know, Serum, it runs on Solana and then it has like 400 millisecond block time. So when you update an order book, which is just updating the state on chain, it's at least, it takes at least 400 milliseconds to update that one state change. For centralized exchanges, they can run it at, as fast as they can. But the problem with centralized exchanges is that well, they also want to keep your money and take full custody of your money for whatever reason, right? even though they don't have to. So the architecture that we're proposing basically says, all right, we're going to accept only trades from the traders whose uh, funds are fully uh, vetted and collateralized and locked away in their own escrow account that they only control. Then we read on the on-chain information that they have committed those funds to be traded. Then those orders that get submitted to the centralized venue are signed by the, the uh, escrow keys and then the key, the trader's key, right? So we know like who, where it's from. Then when this gets matched, it gets broadcasted out. So I'm, I'm just kind of like going through the whole process to kind of explain like what the important features are. I can understand exactly what your why it works yep. this way, right? You want to be able to That's right. prove that you have escrowed funds prove that That's you right. gave permission for the escrowed funds to be put into a trade and then yep. you broadcast that and if someone can match yep. that trade then it's yep. valid right also just to be clear so the broadcast is after it's matched we match it in a centralized order book right so it's, it's good to go where we deviate from other projects is or where we're special is that we broadcast that to a decentralized oracle network which is run by the community yep. and they are the ones that are responsible for recording tracking and witnessing these trades and then later on in the settlement process that we have on a delayed timer, basically, or a period, that's what they these community-operated oracles will provide the settlement data so that the traders, uh, escrow wallets or smart wallets, we call them, can then settle peer-to-peer -peer amongst themselves. Right. Right. So we don't actually have to like take the money from Alice and give it to Bob, essentially. Like We don't get involved in settlement at all. In fact, it's the community that's telling Alice and Bob 
oh, hey guys, you guys owe one another this amount of money. And even the community member who runs the Oracle don't touch the money. Because all they tell you is, based on my understanding of what went on in the exchange or exchanges, that yeah. this is the balance that you owe one another. Yeah. So, which is, a, it's called separation of concerns, right? Like we want to like separate out pieces that do not require to be coupled together. So settlement could be completely separated out from exchange and therefore exchange has no mechanism or force or control over the traders. We're very special in that regard, to be honest. A lot of DEXs claim to be decentralized, but they're actually controlled by maybe a, one company, which is kind of doesn't really make sense, right? Because you really what they are, they're decentralized architecture, but still centralized control, if you think about it. It could just be a couple founders or team members that actually have the private keys for one of the inner machinery or the smart contracts that run it. For example, they probably have an emergency stop function, which is very much justified because let's say there's a bug in the smart contracts or something. They have to be able to stop everything. In that case, they can stop something and fix it, but they also now have basically shown their card that they have some ability to freeze funds, which is actually not what you want, right? Yeah. So we are actually completely out of this picture. <laughs> we, yeah. we just match orders. The settlement layer, which is the community-run TXA decentralized settlement layer, we call it, is actually uh, providing that settlement data that people can use to settle amongst yeah. themselves. Yeah, and, and these like what we call settlement data oracles that these community members run, these are open source inspectable code that's going to be completely open source. And what they can do is they can see what the code does and run it, and they can compile it themselves and run it on their desktop or whatever it is, so that there's just numerous members of the community who can independently witness the trade and then independently verify that it happened and independently verify that they had the funds to begin with. So it's like a virtuous cycle, you know, like more, more community members get involved, more uh, robust the uh, data infrastructure is, and uh, less likely that it can be compromised. An analogy I've kind of grown to like is that I think of this SDOs or settlement data oracles as satellites that kind of orbit uh, around the planet and people are trading on the ground and they're just watching from the skies every single trade. And then when people want to settle amongst each other, these oracles and provide that data, what they saw, right? Yeah. Um, there's a few really good benefits here, right? By having a settlement that happens on a delayed basis, multiple orders or trades can be condensed into a single order. Because if you think about it, if you and I trade multiple times back and forth, when we want to settle, we just have to have one, either you owe me some money or I owe you some money, right? At the end of the day, we just have to make that one single obligation transfer to settle our balances. So. Uh, in effect, you're basically trading on kind of a synthetic or floating balance, right? And you're basically settling every so often to bring that back in line with actually what's on your smart contract. Yep. But by having that delayed settlement, we can process trades as fast as humanly possible and just like kick the can down the road for when we actually want to settle. When you want to withdraw, of course, you have to settle and settle your debts and yeah. pay, pay your dues. Right, yeah. but that makes a much faster ecosystem. Best, uh, actually, another analogy I like, and I love the uh, satellite analogy. Well, an analogy that I really like is um, I've been Lightning Network user for a few years now. Lightning Network, you can what you're basically doing is you collateralize your LN payment channels with by sending Bitcoin to a P2SH address. Right, so you're locking away Bitcoin. And then that allows the LN Lightning Network nodes to recognize that you're creating a payment channel with another node. And you just do 
micropayments, transactions, and then at some point in the future, you settle and you close that channel and you get the money balanced out between the two Bitcoin addresses. It's very, it, it's very much inspired by that idea that you should make it programmatically um, collateralize your trading fund. And then once everybody's ready to settle, then they just settle with one another. I was going to ask, like, why you've chosen to use a order book model rather than an automated market maker model. And you've explained it already perfectly why that is. Yep. And also because you know how you get these ideas in your head and, and you adopt a perspective for a few days only subsequently to realize that you were wrong. <laughs> I've been thinking about how amazing the automated market maker approach is as an architecture and how unique it is, right? And you bring up the exact issue with it, which is it centralizes a huge amount of funds in That's one right. place. Yeah. So the thing with automated market maker is that you're kind of like, imagine if you're playing poker and you're just basically showing your hand. That's what I like to call um, automated market makers. You basically are putting money into liquidity pool and you're basically a uh, liquidity provider of last resort. You advertise to everybody that you're willing to accept certain prices for certain assets. And it works for DEXs and its services function. It does work very well. But I think that to do true price discovery, uh, you really need a dynamic order modification, right? You need to be able to cancel order as quickly as you submit it. And that's really what makes the traditional marketplace as dynamic as it is. Yeah. You can say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, think about yeah. like sophisticated traders. I mean, they, they're not going to use an AMM, right? Because everything's shown. They know exactly what they're going to get. There's, there's no way to actually do advanced strategies or trading strategies on an AMM, you basically get what you get, right? People do those directional strategies or mutual strategies. They have all this thing that this doesn't work in AMM. So AMM is a very good, it's a great innovative idea, definitely. It has its perks, but it also has its downsides. Right? Yeah, yeah. Hosting, how is Tessin hosted? Okay, so the centralized order book part of the HDEX architecture is hosted by us. So it is a closed. Oh, not, uh, not us, but another company. Oh, that's yeah. So it's actually hosted by another company that's going to be running the exchange. So I have to be very careful. We want to be clear. So there's kind of three entities for some, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Later. So, so I mean, like, in any case, like the company that we're working with is developing the software, and then we'll have a separate operating company that is dedicated for operating the exchange and in a fully compliant way in the United States and abroad. And so that entity will get all the things that needed to be done. And so what will actually happen with that exchange is that the exchange itself is hosted by the, the company that's going to operate the exchange, the actual like the order book and all the API and all the stuff. But the exchange is supposed to then broadcast out to the settlement data oracles that are listening. So there, there is some sort of protocol, I mean, very simple protocol that they have to listen to this broadcasts that are going to happen. And then the decentralized portion, the settlement layer portion, the SDOs can be run by anybody, really. These are just like executable binaries that you just yeah. run. And the, the SDOs basically, in our current design, leverage Definity's internet computer right now to yeah. do auto scaling. And so what Definity provides, and that's why we were featured in TechCrunch as one of the you know, top five projects building on Definity, mm -hmm. is we realize that in this sort of settlement layer, if you can imagine like many people settling at, in parallel at the same time, loads can get pretty high, right? 
um, especially as we grow, let's say, you know, you, we expand overnight, we go viral in some country. It's basically, if anyone who knows this, it's impossible to just find 200 new node operators overnight, right? So in order to meet that load, what we have is Definity has this technology called canisters and canisters can scale up really quickly. So you can have basically what they call a write canister, but then the read canisters can be parallelized. And so you can spin up a lot of read canisters and provide that settlement data to meet the demand of many people set at the same time. So that it's basically open source software you can download that basically you can deploy on Definities. They have these data centers around the world that you can basically deploy and then run for yeah. the settlement layer. Yeah, and and that's just like one part of the data backend. Yeah. Like that's an optional thing that is a parallel to the actual other ways to store data on the local machine. So it's just like cross-checking one another, right? Like so the things that are happening on Definity that the data calculation of who owes what money to whom is the same information that the, your machine locally will be calculating with its own understanding of what happened. So then there will be cross-checking of both information. And that you can have multiple data backends that cross-check these things. So one of the really experimental idea that I, I've been throwing around is there's a um, interesting project called Urbit. And we said, why don't we make Urbit planets into a settlement data oracles? And it's actually entirely doable because it has the similar characteristics that we're looking for in a decentralized architecture. We're also using Hedera Hashgraph as another fallback yeah. data source. I mean, the, the, the crux of the problem is that the oracles have to witness and record all the trades, right? So they need to re store that data somewhere. We don't want to store it locally on each oracle server because they could have different views on what actually happened yeah. and that could lead to data inconsistency. Yeah. So we do need like a persistent immutable data storage. So therefore that's where the Finity blockchain comes in, which is actually pretty fast. Hedera has a separate product line that's a time-ordered message queue, a fairly ordered message queue that we're also going to take advantage. So we're talking about like triple redundancy. Yeah. There's going to be a buffer and things like that. Um, Jay yeah. here actually comes from an aerospace engineering background. <laughs> so he, he's all about you know failure <laughs> modes and critical like analysis yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah. we, make, we build this very robustly so that no matter what happens, somebody will have a very clear picture of what happened. Um, right, right. There's this concept in aerospace engineering in particular called common logic error, where flight computers can have same programs running in three different computers, it doesn't matter because they all run into the same problem when you input certain things. And so in order to combat common logic error, they may actually run programs that are written in different languages. And so that like even if the inputs are the same, if one of them fails because something was incorrectly written, there are two other flight computers running completely different flight control program. So similar to that, we want robustness in the data source that the settlement data oracles are going to provide, which just adds to the you know, trustworthiness of the entire settlement ecosystem. So we have a minimum quorum of 10 oracles, by the way, right? So a uh, minimum 10, two out of three have to agree on what the actual obligations are. Yeah. So that way we these are These them. are provisional, of oh, course. Provisional, yes. But the thing is that when we do these sort of like trade studies on like what is a reasonable number, and what do we need to have in terms of like the backup data and cross-checking the, the data that we have? We're actually doing studies on like what the failure modes if we have these things fail. How do we mitigate it and all of that stuff? Those will also be made available to the public when we do the audit of the settlement architecture. 
that common logic error, that is the, or, you know, protection is the exact mm -hmm. same reason they have the multiple Ethereum clients as well. It just struck me that that's, that's right. yeah. yeah, precisely, precisely. Yep, you got it. Which, of course, also exposes you to the, uh, the risks of multiple, of random clients failing all the time. Usually, that is true. Yeah, that is true. I mean, like, so it's like uh, one of those like things that you have to actively manage the risk when you design the architecture. Yeah, it's unavoidable, but we're going to try to minimize these like easy to avoid risk as much as possible so that like whatever whatever availability that we have, it's most likely almost always going to be success. Yeah, yeah. It's the first decentral high performance decentralized exchange I've ever heard of. I mean, the first it's one. It's called the HDEX, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah it's oh. not really a DEX anymore. It's really an HDEX or oh, hybrid DEX. You got to think of it that yeah. way. So the key things that we want to point out too here, here. So not only is the Oracle system very robust, if there was an issue, the exchange actually, your smart contracts that we're, we're designed have a two-day lock on funds. So if there was an issue, um, let's say the centralized exchange order book went down, yep. within two days, everybody just gets their money back. Right. So it's like it's like the default failure is you just get your money back. So that's actually quite the good thing. If you don't lose any money and if everything goes wrong, you still get your money back. You know, that's like, um, and then let's say that like the exchange uh, for whatever reason just gets DDoSed, right? And you just can't reach the exchange. Just because you can't reach the exchange website doesn't mean you don't have access to your fund because you already have your access to your you know, escrow smart contract, right? So you can always just like start the process of settlement and the settlement architecture isn't even being run by the exchange. So which means that even if the exchange goes down entirely, the settlement uh, is still ongoing. Yeah. So like as long one, as the oracles are up, you yeah. can settle. Yeah. And in two days, you can basically get your money back yeah. regardless of anything. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these is like, you know, we're doing heavy trace studies and research on it and making sure that this is going to be safe and reliable for yeah. all of so traders at all levels, really. Yeah, so like things like formal verification that we actually started doing a long time ago, yeah. security audits and things like that to make sure that yep. there's no like dead end state where your money can't be accessible. That's great because, you know, I mean, I've got in my inbox, I've got this one email from this exchange where I had one MKR token locked up. And oh, I not locked up, but, you know, it's on the exchange I can't seem to KYC, pass KYC with that exchange to get it back. I mean, it's not the end of the world, but it's it's an MKR token. It's lots of money. Like, I want that thing back. But, I mean, they've had it for two years, and I don't know if I'm ever going to yeah. get it. You bring up a couple of good points. Like, A, we, we talk about we actually are, as far as currently, we're compliant in the U.S. and able to, to offer no KYC trading, which is also very interesting. So you won't have that KYC issue even, even yeah. though our architect does – Always, we never could take custody of your funds in the first place. Yeah. Well, because you have custody of your own fund, so there's no reason for us to do KYC. Yeah. And it's very consistent with current regulations and what they say about, okay, well, if you're not acting as an intermediary, taking money from Alice and giving it to Bob, then yeah, that gets rid of the requirements of like record keeping practice for KYC in some parts of the, yeah. um, the type of a trade. Now, like, where it gets tricky, of course, is this landscape changes all the time, right? Meaning like the interpretation of what information needs to be supplied to the government changes all the time. So like my nightly reading is <laughs> I, I try to read like upcoming like draft regulations and things that are changing. 
and propose regulations and things like that. Like that's my like nightly reading material. <laughs> so I'm very up to. Uh, before we even get into that, though, I, just before we move off to the decentralized settlement layer, like the whole point here is we're building a generic. If your gears are turning here, the whole point is we're building this generic decentralized settlement layer, yeah. right? It's not just for Tassin's future exchange or whatever it is. We're basically just talking about a community-run settlement layer that helps any sort of order matching engine settle their funds without actually touching those funds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is still re really revolutionary in itself. And it's very transparent. It's open source. I mean, people would say, oh, there's no KYC, so people are going to bad actors going to use it. I mean, that would be a very bad idea because everything's being broadcasted, literally. Like, yeah. You're not be able to hide your money. This is not some sort of privacy coin or dark pool. We're fully compliant. We're also going to file SARs, suspicious activity reports. We'll do like all kinds of IP blocking. We'll do a lot of stuff to make sure that this is a very safe exchange. Right? Yeah, we, we voluntarily comply with all publicly accessible info, meaning that one, we don't engage in financial surveillance of our traders. Like we are privacy first, meaning that we don't hold information that is not required to facilitate actions, trading actions and things like that. But at the same time, publicly available information like yeah. the wallet addresses and things, things like that is, you know what, that's fine. That's fine to be collected as a part of a voluntary compliance regime, yeah. and which actually allows us to continue to hopefully that exchange will, by doing this in a voluntary fashion, will continue to operate yeah. in a legitimate economy. So I, I think we're, we're the most transparent layer you could possibly yeah. build. And so we hopefully in the future, what our long-term vision is, is that other exchanges can then use our settlement layer for anything. In Europe, someone can spin up a new exchange. Mm -hmm. Maybe in Korea, they do require KYC. They have more stringent KYC real yeah. ID laws. So maybe they'll make an exchange that does KYC, yeah. but still uses our settlement layer. Because our settlement layer is so agnostic and doesn't require KYC in the first place, you can build that or with or without KYC. It kind of fits everything. This is the most transparent model you can think of. The idea is that the HDEX isn't about multiple HDEXs in the future all competing against each other. We don't even, that's silly because if you think of what a blockchain project is, it's a decentralized layer, right? A decentralized settlement or even the Bitcoin itself is kind of like a decentralized layer, right? For sending funds. And so we basically are building a settlement layer for all the future exchanges to use and settle. Providing like alternative architecture that's like efficient and common standard for a lot of the exchanges to just start plugging in. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point of DeFi, right? Yeah. Like the, the term is like a yeah. Lego block of finance. Yeah, so if you want to trade NFTs from one chain to yeah. an digital assets on another chain, you can do it, right? You, yeah. Yeah. We're totally cross-chain too. It's basically this cross-chain decentralized settlement layer that hopefully can stand a test of time. So be, can, know, can you explain a bit about how the cross-chain sure. interactions work? Okay, so let's step back a little bit. Now, when Tio Nolan, uh, which is a user in Bitcoin forums, and Mike uh, uh, Kern started talking about like, how do we actually do atomic swap, right? So the atomic swap requires that two parties be aware of one another in the first place, and then they commit, uh, pre-commit sort of these like transactions that require some release conditions, like some uh, word uh, secret or whatever. Then it allows the two parties in the same blockchain or similar blockchain that uses a similar um, hashing algorithm to actually do cross-chain atomic swap. You can do cross-chain atomic swap between, say, Bitcoin and Litecoin, for example, using the Tionolone process. Problem with the atomic swap using that sort of methodology is that you have to know the counterparty ahead of the time. 
to set these like transactions up and program it in such a way that it either transacts uh, and, and swaps or releases fund back to the owners. Which means that in a um, situation like where you're trading against like potentially like many, many parties in the order book, you can set this up in time to make the cross-chain atomic swap work in a in that uh, process in, in that manner, like in, in like something like the Nolan process. So then how does that work? So meaning that you can set up atomic swap easily between uh, it's very difficult in fact to set up atomic swap between Ether, uh, Ethereum network, and Bitcoin, because they use fundamentally different hashing algorithm using this uh, this particular atomic swap method, which you know requires you to either have like pegging into one chain or the other, right? So you have to either like peg the money into one and then have a, some sort of programmatic way to like peg and then assign value on another chain. Then you can do the swap from inside a, inside a particular chain, right? So like the example is like wrapped Bitcoin, right? So you peg it into Ethereum and then you trade using smart contracts, right? The thing with that is it's still an awkward process. You have to like move money into one chain and then do it in the mechanism of that chain. So the second part, you can another mechanism you can use is have an interoperability layer like Cosmos or Polkadot or whatever. I don't own any of them. <laughs> it's just ahead of time. I just have to say, like, I don't own any of these guys I'm talking about. It's a good idea because like now you have different compatibility zones, and then their consensus mechanism is being normalized into this interoperability chains consensus mechanism, right? Then what that will let you do is have different chains interact through this hub of compatibility zone, hub zone, for an example, in uh, Cosmos. Now, problem with that is, again, it relies on third chain. And then if you want to do something very simple, just send money from one chain to another, it's too much. <laughs> like if you're trying to do something more complex, that's fine. Like, hey, Adam, and yeah, great. <laughs> but if you're just trying to send money from one to another chain, it's too much. I, I always joke that we're not a protocol play, <laughs> even though there is a protocol involved, because like we, we don't do something very complex. Okay, so having said all of that, which is like state of the art right now, then how do you actually do cross-chain uh, settlement? Well, easy. If you really think about centralized exchanges, they do cross-chain settlements, right? <laughs> Basically, they have full node, they have access to the full nodes on both two multiple chains, and then they say, oh, you know what? We have hot wallets in here, hot wallets in here, and then the user account in database, and then we'll just like when they ask for it, we'll send it over, right? So that's uh, yeah, that's like uh, if you really think about it, that's like cross-chain settlement. Um, we do something similar, but without the centralized control. And so, what settlement process does is that because when we when you collateralize a fund, you have to do it in both places, right? Like a pair. Think about like RBTC to ETH pair. So you're like trading rootstock uh, Bitcoin to uh, Ether. Then you have to have these contracts created in both places in order for you to trade that pair. And when you do that, let's say Alice has RBTC collateralized, so she can sell RBTC for ETH. And then Bob has ETH collateralized, so he can buy RBTC using ETH or whatever, right? Then what happens is when those trades occur, in the coordinated settlement process that the settlement data oracle and decentralized settlement layer actually does its magic. Uh, it's not really magic, it's really straightforward. The settlement data oracles themselves are listening on multiple chains that they service, right? 
they have to because otherwise how can you like say the money that's being sent in one chain is is uh, balanced by the money that's being sent in another chain right so it has to like debit and credit has to add to zero right meaning like if uh, alice is buying bitcoin for eth uh selling bitcoin for ETH, sorry then uh, alice has to receive eth at some point these are sort of like coupled processes that we take into account in fact the settlement data oracle one of its chief job is to ensure that it all balances out to zero and that no one's getting money for free and things like that. So the cross-chain settlement works in that way. If you are interested, there, there's, a, there's a lot of activity. There was a lot of activity in like sort of like synthetic pair, right? Like meaning you can have a loose coupling of crypto assets that creates a synthetic pair, and then you can use that to trade whether they're actually linked or not. So Dan Robinson did a fantastic kind of like rainbow chain kind of thing. Unfortunately, he doesn't have enough time to build it, but uh, I take inspiration from that as well and say, okay, you can have a loose coupling, but still at the end of the day, everybody has their money. Yeah. So that's how we do our cross-chain settlement. Maybe one way to think about it is it is an oracleized coordinated swap, <laughs> right? That's right. It's a swap, but it's it's coordinated by oracles with knowledge of all the chains. Maybe that's maybe a, a quick kind of, after hearing all that, which is really detailed, yep. think of it as like, Oracle's managing a, a coordinated settlement across multiple chains. Yeah, because the oracles, what they do is they basically report to all of the participants in multiple chains for that particular, you know, like settlement. Then they all know who owes what money to whom in multiple chains. And since these are all immutable blockchains, oracles can't agree and reach a consensus on the states. Right, right. right. So which then goes into a question of which chains do we support, <laughs> right? Because like if you have a corporate controlled blockchain, then you can't trust the blockchain to actually write these things immutably, right? If they can like essentially shard at will and fork at will, then like what's the point, right? So from our point of view, we take selection of which chain we support very seriously. If the validators are like corporately controlled and one of the chains, we basically say, you know what, that's not that's not good enough, friend. <laughs> But what about Ripple? I don't want to talk about Ripple <laughs> because it's like I don't own any Ripple. I don't profess to know all everything about Ripple. I just want to say something. Ripple is an interesting technology because it tries to propagate like obligation states across the different nodes. And David Schwartz is a fantastic engineer, but that's about it. Like I, <laughs> we're not. I, I don't. We're not going to support Ripple. I, I can just tell you that. Uh, so, so, so who are you supporting? Okay, so these are all provisional. We're going to have a selection committee that's going to look at whether a chain or a crypto asset is a bona fide cryptocurrency or a bona fide uh, utility token under the SEC's definition uh, in the digital asset framework. So Rootstock is probably pretty close. I mean, I can't say definitely because we haven't gone through all of the compliance check and checking, okay, it's sufficiently decentralized. It doesn't rely on a single company to uh, operate and so on and so forth, right? So all of this stuff and then how you, how you test, all the sub questions of the how you test. We're going to be very rigorously applying this to all of the tokens that we review. And again, well, there's yeah. two parts to this question, right? One, technically, what can we support is yeah. any smart contract capable chain, mm -hmm. including a few other ones. Like there are some scriptable chains like BSV that 
Potentially, we could do, but the whole idea is that we have to have feature parity. The smart wallets have to be exactly the same on every single chain that we yeah, support. Yeah. Beyond that, there's a whole legal aspect of it, right? Because the, the parent chain's current token has to be a bona fide utility token because that's going to be ultimately going to be collateralized and traded in the for yeah. sure. But then every single token on top of it is going to be another question. Right? Yeah, so we, we have to ask to apply the same standard across yeah. the board. And so my take on it, by the way, is that the exchange that selects these tokens have to apply the same standard across the board and also be neutral. But having said that, it's most likely Ripple's not going to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so this is interesting because you're going to, because of course the settlement layer can be used by anyone. They can put anything they like. Into okay. that so you're in the right direction, right? Yeah. yeah. I, think I know what you're saying is like it's it's up to them eventually in the future. Oracles can support any chain they really want to support. Yep. And the order matching exchanges that are running on top of it, it's their own brand, their own reputation at stake. Yeah. If they want to support other chains and the oracles agree, then by yeah. all means. I mean they can, but yeah, they're not they, part exactly. Of you got it. The answer is TXA decentralized settlement layer, SDO operators can determine where they want to support and use the open source code to do whatever they want. Uh, it's open source, right? But the exchange that Passive will be spinning up as a separate company will not be supporting certain chains. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that much. So yeah. we're going to run the most legit exchange on top of the TXA decentralized sediment layer. Yeah. Um, other guys um, might. Well, again, we're going to encourage uh, in the yeah. TXA project that the exchanges follow certain guidelines and ensure that they follow the standard in like voluntary compliance. You know what? Just just uh, make sure that you are all you know squared away and that you're you're, you're doing something uh, good for the world and not like financing you know a bunch of different yeah, uh, you know, so. terrible things that are happening right so the token holders will have some sort of governance in the future right you able to sort of keep this thing sort of clean yep so there will be some making sure that the operators of the settlement data oracles are the ones that are making the rules and that they follow sort of like a good standard in voluntary compliance and making sure that they're all set up. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. We're trying to build a technologically advanced and compliant settlement ecosystem for the community to start building on top of. And then to like showcase it, we'll build an exchange on top of that. And then we'll encourage people to like build on top of the settlement layer. Yeah, I gotta point out that it could do NFTs, any sort of crypto assets. Like yeah. perhaps you could do like real estate timeshare NFT trading. You can have like a whole uh, vacation house sharing exchange built on top I, of this. We're thing. not building we that. We don't care. But, we're not building that. But someone could. I'm just saying, yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, you guys are building a infrastructure piece for the exchange right. of assets that are being built on these yeah. more advanced chains. A comparison I like is comparing us to Polkadot. Because if you think of what Polkadot is saying is they're providing a shared consensus mechanism that other parachains can hook onto. So it's like, bring your own project or chain will provide the consensus layers. So you don't have to worry about, am I using DPoS? Am I using POW? Am I using whatever, right? You're just saying, oh, well, Polkadot will take care of that. You just got to stake a bunch of dot yeah. and you can leverage their cons uh, shared consensus mechanism and their security. Yeah. We're saying, well, we have a shared settlement layer, bring your exchange, bring your own exchange and we'll take care of settlement for you. You don't even have to touch the money. Because yeah, not us, not, not us. us. Yeah. The public, the, the community will be taking yeah. care of the settlement, not us. Because actually, we don't, we don't, we right. don't want to get involved in it. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. by not getting involved in it, it 
let's just focus on building the most kick-ass, fastest possible, yeah. most liquid you know, exchange we can possibly build. And it's still the most transparent. You're, thinking, you're talking about traders basically running their own settlement layer, yeah. cross-checking each other. It's just yeah. everyone should play nice, right? It's basically yeah. the, their own settlement layer, if you think right. about it, at the end of the day. So an interesting side note to this is imagine having uh, in, in orbit imagine having a exchange front end that your planet runs you don't have to even have to connect to the exchange like you can just run the front end in the orbit planet i mean that's like a yeah. that's like a next level right <laughs> exactly you have yeah. a whole planet that basically yeah. does real estate swaps like i was yeah. saying yeah. <laughs> that uses the txa decentralized settlement layer you just run this really cool planet come here with yeah. your real estate timeshare swaps that you well, whatever. accidentally got roped into buying because yeah. you were in Hawaii and the US no, no, timeshare no, no, convention. No, 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 I'm just no, kidding. But but yeah, I mean you get the point, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny, it's funny you bring up well, that's your exchange, yeah. right? That's yeah. 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 I was just talking to uh, Nadim of Capsule who are in the process of changing their name. We talked about decentralized social media and, and all of this. We didn't bring up Urban even once and that's yeah. That's kind of <laughs> just about the most obvious example of a decentralized That's social right. media platform That's you right. could yeah. come up with. Another example could be like Urbit. You know, it's hard to like sell and buy planets and stars. Like you can kind of sort of do it in OpenSea, but like price discovery is kind of all messed up. So you could, you know, potentially have like OTC desk that uses the same settlement layer but running the exchange on the Urbit network itself. I mean, imagine that, right? Like it's like kind of like building the economy inside of the, uh, the urban network. So I think that would be really really interesting use case. So, I mean, we don't, we don't have time for everything, but uh, that could be something that the community- Other people can build it, right? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. We have a foundation um, that will be to help yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. This has been a really elucidating experience. It's the first time mm -hmm. in a while I've actually interviewed anyone about an exchange, I think. I mean, I can't- That's awesome. Well, it's not just an exchange, right? It's the, it's an HDEX architecture. Yeah. So, like, if you centralized settlement layer, if you ever want to ask us, well, what are you, what's your update? Then we'll be happy to come back anytime, provided that you your audience I'm nothing sure. but to hear me say just geek on about. These yeah, sort of no, I've, I've no doubt. Um, Jay can talk forever. Oh sure. no, no, <laughs> don't let me do that. <laughs> yeah. Find out more at tassin.com and follow the project on Twitter at tassin underscore app. That's at T-A-C-E-N underscore A-P-P. The Internet Computer Weekly has a sister newsletter featuring news, project updates, interesting reading, and other tidbits that come up over the course of the week. Together they are part of a larger effort at ecosystem building we are calling the Cycle DAO. Visit cycle underscore DAO dot X-Y-Z, that's C-Y-C-L-E underscore D-A-O dot X-Y-Z, to subscribe and learn more.